people are never going to understand how critical this particular time in history is. We have $7.7 trillion worth of economic events that are going to hit America in the gut. This is An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun, President and CEO of Private Wealth Consultants, the free market voice, free market voice. of the U.S., enhancing and protecting private wealth. Gary Rathbun has over 30 years of experience in making the best choices for you to keep more of what you earn. It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of self-reliance. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. This is Greetings and welcome again to An Economy One. I am your host, Gary Rathman. I, uh, uh, we've reached that time again. We've reached that time where maybe, maybe the government is going to get shut down. Now, I react a little differently to this. Um, if they shut down the government, uh, I'm all for it. Shut it down. Shut it down for six months, a year. I don't care. But I don't think it's going to happen. But we're up against the uh, the wall again, or Congress is up against the wall again. And uh, we're coming up on the end of the fiscal year, and no budget has uh, been put together. Uh, nothing passed. Now, that being said, uh, it's been the same for the last seven years. Congress is constitutionally mandated to put together a budget. And they haven't done it for seven years. Seven years. Seven years. You hear me? I'll let you do the math as to what else coincides with the last seven years. I won't insult your intelligence. I'll let you figure it out. Now, should there be a government shutdown? Um, What's the likelihood of that? Very minimal. What's likely to happen, I think, is Congress will pass a a uh, simple extension, and uh, they'll pass that to to get out of the news, and then some uh, Friday night at midnight, somewhere in the near future, um, they'll pretend to pass a budget. President Obama will probably veto it, and that'll be the end of it uh, until next year. Now, one of the interesting things, and I've said this. Yeah, we've been keeping track of this for a while because nobody else is talking about it, and that is the debt, the national debt, has not increased since March. Since March, over 180 days, no debt increase. Now, where's the money coming from? How come there's no debt increase? How come there's no news about it? You don't see it in the mainstream media. Nobody is saying, oh, we're at our debt limit, we're at our debt limit. Nobody is saying that. The money is coming from what they call extraordinary measures, meaning the Treasury is going out there and essentially robbing other accounts, government employee pension plans, that kind of stuff. Anything that's that's invested in government treasuries, the Treasury Department is snatching up that money to keep the government going. We have officially gone below the mandated cash balances for the Treasury. Treasury is supposed to keep $150 billion, I believe, 
in reserve at all time, and we're way below that. But uh, nothing, nothing's being done, no outrage, nothing. Now, part of the, uh, shall we say, debate, although it isn't much of a debate, part of the, the issue around the uh, uh, government budget is the defunding of Planned Parenthood. We've all seen those videos. We've all seen the atrocities. Now, I don't care where you fall on the abortion debate. Don't care. We're not going to debate that here. But doesn't it bother you? Doesn't it bother you that Planned Parenthood is chopping up babies and selling parts for money, for anything? Doesn't it bother you? I mean, when we as a country devalue life to that extent, what 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 else have we got? You can't be a great nation, I don't believe, and devalue life to that extent. And once again, this is not a debate on abortion. But the outrage around Planned Parenthood is... Enormous. Something like 85% of the American population think it's terrible. But Mitch McConnell, leader of the Senate, Republican, says, uh, I don't see anything coming up for Planned Parenthood in the budget discussions. The reason being, these people have no backbone, none, no backbone, no integrity. They're so afraid of the government getting shut down and the Republicans being blamed for it. So what? So what? Well, so what is, well, they might lose one or two votes in their reelection. All they care about is keeping that office. You and I both know that. But they will not defund Planned Parenthood. If they voted to defund Planned Parenthood, President Obama would veto it. Tells you something about the belief system there. So some Republicans will put forth a a uh, proposal on government spending that includes defunding Planned Parenthood. This will fail miserably, but they'll be able to be on record as saying, well, yeah, I voted to defund it. I voted to defund it. And then the Republicans will put forth what they call a clean bill, which is simply an extension of the spending authority with no provision to um, defund Planned Parenthood. Now, what would happen if the government shut down? Not a lot. You and I both know. I mean, 2013, when the government was shut down for, I don't know, 10 days or something like that. Um 95% of government agencies kept on running. They're, they're uh, deemed uh, too viable, too valuable to shut down. Um, there, there's some reports out there that the biggest effect on the economy would be um, 40% of federal workers being laid off for the time period of uh, the government shutdown. And that would affect the the fourth quarter GDP? Uh, no, it wouldn't. No, it wouldn't. 
Reason being is every time the government shuts down and these people get laid off, it's simply a paid vacation for them. When the budget passes, and it will, they'll all come back to work and they'll get paid for their time away. So they lose nothing. It uh, saves the government nothing. And it will have virtually no effect on the GDP. My main concern is the fact that nobody is squawking about the debt limit. We're at 18.2, 18.3 trillion. I guarantee you, and I rarely use that word, I guarantee you that when the budget does pass, when that spending bill goes through, that government uh, national debt will jump from 18.2 to close to $19 trillion virtually overnight. All this debt, the, all this spending that's been going on the last six months will all be caught up at once. We'll refund all those pension plans, all that borrowing, all that stuff, and uh, national debt will jump about a trillion dollars uh, overnight and then start running like a madman again. Now that debt, that total federal debt, um, better than a hundred thousand dollars per household in this country over a hundred thousand dollars per household is the federal debt held by the public now there's a bunch of federal debt held by outside countries uh social security china japan all these But just the federal debt held by the American public alone, $107,000 per household. Now, can you imagine what your financial, personal financial situation would be if you had an extra $100,000 of debt added to your, your balance sheet? That's essentially what you have. 100000 of debt, and it's attributable to your house, your household. And that's every single household in this country. Now, I'm not talking about future obligations, none of that kind of stuff. I'm just saying current federal debt, hundred grand per household. Up next... What is America's purpose? Why, why do we exist in the world and what is our role? And what are some of the numbers behind that? I want to explore that. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. to An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. What is America's purpose? I was recently reading several articles about this or several essays about this, and it's, it's interesting to look back that when the American Republic was, was founded, when, when our founding fathers built this country, built the political system of this country, 
they knew that the vast majority of countries in the world um, were under tyrants. Um, people were not free. Economics was not free market. And now they weren't indifferent to this, but they also grasped the fact that a large nation could not digest all of the problems of the world. America was intended to be a model for the world, not a refugee camp. Alexis de Tocqueville, I don't know if you've read anything about uh, him or his writings, but he wrote an interesting book uh, called Democracy in America. And he essentially said that America is good I'm sorry, America is great because America is good. Good people here. And we want to take that leadership role. We want to be the model that America is a tolerant nation. You think of what's happened over essentially the 200 plus years of our existence. Yeah, we've had our moments. Okay, when the country was founded, uh, there was slavery in this country. But after the Civil War, you didn't see a lot of those people leave and go back to the nations they were brought here from. They assimilated into this country and became contributing Americans. The Jews in the mid eighties, uh, mid eighteen hundreds, mid eighteen hundreds. I mean, we. We uh, uh, accepted uh, Jewish refugees with open arms, Irish refugees with open arms. Now, we also served as a model for Ireland and served as a model for Israel so that people could stay in their native country, in their homeland, and experience the freedom that we have here. Americans' purpose is to be that leading model. Our purpose is to get the rest of the world to accept our values. Sure, I know the Statue of Liberty says, give us your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. But I don't think that was the intention of creating a refugee camp here. We're very generous people. You know, when Reagan was in office back in 1980, 81, somewhere in there, he commissioned a study. And I think it was called, if I remember right, the Wilson study. And the Wilson study's premise was um, of every dollar that the government gives to people to help people out, What's it cost the government to do that? And what they found was back then it cost the government about a buck and a half to spend a dollar. That's how inefficient government was in the early 80s. Today, today, you ready? You ready? It costs the federal government three dollars to give away a dollar. Three bucks to give away to a dollar. 
Now, what that study also found back in the 80s is for every dollar that an individual gave to charity or a nonprofit, it actually saved the government a buck thirty-five. So we as a nation, our purpose is to be that light on the hill, to be that economic and civil leader in the world. And I get pretty tired of the endless critiques of the imperfections of America. And that's not just by individuals down on the corner. It's our politicians. It's our mainstream media. There's a, there's a real contempt for America that has infected the political rhetoric. And it, 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 it's, it's created a situation where those lies um, eventually become paraded out as the truth. Now, I think this is the greatest country in the world. I think we have been for a long, long, long time. And I think we will be for a long, long time going forward. But we need to step back and ask ourselves, what are we? What is our purpose? The Pope is here in the country, and he has criticized capitalism. And he's criticized capitalism in the same paragraph as needing to help the poor. Well, you and I both know that capitalism has raised more people out of poverty worldwide than anything has ever, ever. The problem with having people at the poverty level or below today has to do with government intervention and government regulations. That's what causes so many problems. Get out of the way. Let the free market do what it does. We will create jobs and bring even more people out of poverty. But I'm sick of the criticism. Yeah, we got our faults. Greatest guys around. Greatest country around. Up next, the table is set for a new war. I'll tell you what the battle is when we come back. Gary Rathbun, an economy of one. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. You know, just when you think the government can't get any dumber, they exceed your expectations. This week, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, uh, along with the Environmental Protection Agency, can't be good when those two agencies get together. But those two departments announced an initiative to reduce food waste by 50% over the next 15 years. Okay, now now think about this. I mean, this is, I'm going to tie this to several things here in a minute. But here's the Department of Agriculture and the Environmental Protection Agency wanting to reduce national food waste. The project will aim to improve food security 
as a whole while conserving natural resources. Now, when you hear food security, what do you think of? I think of secure food. But that's not what they mean. What they mean is so nobody goes hungry. Instead of people being hungry, they have food insecurity now. So they may be 300 pounds overweight and have food in all their pockets, but they're not sure if they'll be able to fill their pockets tomorrow, so they're insecure about that. We are the most productive country in the world. We have more food than anybody. We feed most of the world. But according to the Department of Agriculture, too much of this food goes to waste. The experts have projected that if they reduce food losses by just 15%, that'd be enough to provide food for more than 25 million Americans every year. Now, I find it somewhat ironic that, ironic that um, the USDA is so concerned with food waste. If they wanted to make a difference on food waste, let the school systems provide their own meal standards for the students. Michelle Obama's food initiative, I don't even know what it's called anymore, um, has created tons, tons of food waste. And, of course, it disrespects local communities, parents, and students from making their own, own decisions. These policies are going to drive up food prices. They're going to incorporate climate change policies, which drive up energy costs for agricultural producers. I mean, this just has stupidity written all over it. How are they going to reduce food waste by 50% in 15 years? How do you even measure it? They don't even know how to measure it. So you know what they're going to do? You know what they, they're going to tax it. They'll either start taxing our garbage or they'll have some type of tax on all food to make it more expensive so people are less likely to throw it away. They have apps. They've got all kinds of stuff they're putting out there because uh, we're so stupid, you and I, we don't know the difference between a best buy date and a use by date. That's how dumb we are in these people's minds. So they're gonna gonna play a more pivotal parental role for you and I so that we don't waste food. Now along that same line the National Science Foundation is spending millions of dollars to monitor how and what obese families eat. They're going to attach sensors to people, to their wrist and to their waist, to monitor all of their activity and eating habits over a period of months. Listen to this quote. Recent advances in remote sensing have provided a new paradigm for tracking human behavior. 
But obesity-related efforts focused directly on diet and activity have been hampered by not only the accuracy of behavior tracking, but also the lack of behavioral theories and dynamic models for personalized, just-in-time, adaptive interventions. That sounds impressive, doesn't it? Sounds impressive. Well, you know what? You get a sensor around your waist and you belly up to a uh, donut counter. What are they going to do to give you a just-in-time adaptive intervention? Give you electrical shock? They going to inject you with something that makes you throw up at the taste of sugar? What? What? This is unbelievable. They hope to bring about behavioral modification. These sensors is going to tell the government who is eating, where, when, with whom, and, you ready for this one, interpersonal stress. Now, millions of dollars are going to be spent. You know what they're going to do? They're going to study a total of 15 families the first year. Second year is going to be 20 families. So they're going to collect data on 15 families, 20 families the second year. And you can bet they will propose legislation And you can bet legislation will get passed for all 350 million of us based on the activity and eating habits of 15 families that they choose, that they receive the data and they interpret the data. Now, it's a pretty ambitious project, they admit. But the data that we will accrue will be absolutely novel and informative. They want to use the technology to develop culturally sensitive, evidence-based approaches to promote health behavior change. Now, these same people that spent a million dollars that turned First Lady Michelle Obama's White House garden into a video game. Wonder how that game is selling. Remember, uh, uh, several weeks ago, I told you about a truck driver I knew that his doctor wouldn't clear him to drive his truck to get his CDL, commercial driver's license, renewed because of his body mass index. And I told you then they're going to start using this information to withhold things from us that we want or need until we comply. Now, that guy got his driver's license renewed. I won't tell you how, but he had to make some uh, some decisions that he shouldn't have had to make because of the doctor having to comply with Department of Transportation crap. What does his body mass index have to do with anything? Furthermore... Why is the government establishing a body body mass index to renew your driver's license? Now, the next step in this, the next step is garbage. 
in the United Kingdom, not here, Great Britain, there's a restaurant that only uses garbage to create meals. It's a restaurant that uses garbage. They go around to other restaurants, supermarkets, and get the food that they're throwing out. And then they use that garbage to create meals in their restaurant. And they're able to, you know, their justification is food's going to waste. It's a moral issue that food is wasted. Moral issue. They got no problems with morals when they stick a gun to my head and take my money to give away to other people. That's morally good. But it's morally wrong to throw away a half a sandwich that you don't want anymore. Absolutely incredible. Now, once again, Great Britain, not here. Isn't it here? Well... There's a trendy restaurant in New York City that is serving, you guessed it, garbage. They are making dishes out of stuff that food processors, that kind of stuff, throw away. Now, wouldn't you love to have, for example, some cartilage tartar sauce infused and smoked Infused with smoked whitefish heads. Yum. Yum. Can you believe this? Can you believe I mean, these people are... Now, granted, this restaurant, uh, it's called Manhattan's Blue Hill. It's a high-end restaurant. He only did it for two weeks. But there was a reason for doing it for two weeks and maybe only doing it for two weeks but he's making dishes out of stuff that people throw out flat champagne half a bottle of champagne university that did some uh, research study on squash and didn't need them anymore so they donated them to the restaurant and he cooked them up i mean here we are you got the Department of Agriculture and the Environmental Protection Agency telling us we're wasting too much food, and that's morally wrong. It fills the landfills, that kind of stuff. And uh, they're going to put monitors on us. The day is coming. They're going to monitor what we eat, how we eat it, and then try to modify our behavior. Well, how do you do that? You do it through penalties and pain. And then the latest trend is restaurants that serve garbage. And it wouldn't be so bad. Actually, it would be. But the uh, restaurant in New York charges 75 bucks a meal to eat garbage. And the reason was it takes a lot more labor to prepare garbage than it does real food. I, I, I can believe that. I mean, that is not unbelievable at all for me. Coming up. Never ends. Never ends. One more city to avoid if you own a business or want to start a business. I'll talk about that next. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun.
to An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. You know, when you think of stupid things coming out of a mayor's office or a city council's office, you generally think of the West Coast. I generally, the first thought that comes to mind is either Seattle uh, or San Francisco, right? You generally think, okay, a bunch of left-wing guys over there, left-wing crazies, and they're, they're coming up with all kinds of goofy laws. Well, there's a new one in the Midwest, city of Minneapolis. There's a new proposal by the mayor and city council of Minneapolis to regulate employee scheduling. It's called the Fair Scheduling Law. Now, you ready for this? Under the draft proposal, employers would be required to create employee work schedules four weeks in advance. And they have to compensate workers for any unexpected schedule changes. It's called the Fair Scheduling Rule. Employees whose schedules were changed with less than four weeks' notice would need to be paid for an additional hour of work. Schedule changes with less than 24 hours' notice would result in an extra four hours' worth of pay. Employers would also have to pay time and a half for shifts scheduled within 16 hours of a previous shift or for each hour worked beyond eight in a single shift. Now think of this, okay? What people aren't putting together is this is directly tied to Obamacare. You know, Obamacare says anybody over 29 hours, okay, you have to include, or over 30 hours, I'm sorry. So a lot of these restaurants and stuff are are setting up schedules at 29 hours for their employees because they can't afford to pay for the Obamacare. Well, can you imagine the logistics nightmare in this? And all it would take would be one little mistake, one little violation of this rule for an employer Suddenly, that employee is now over 30 hours, and the cost of that employee just went through the roof. Unbelievable how stupid this is. What it's going to do is drive businesses right out of Minneapolis, and it should. It should. What if an employee is scheduled, and another employee calls in sick? What do you do? If you call one of your other employees and have them come in to cover, that's a penalty. Got to pay four hours worth of pay, and if that four hours takes them over eight, it's time and a half. How do you project what employees you need four weeks into the future with absolute certainty? You can't. If a restaurant... Uh, has a, a patio, and they schedule workers to work the patio for employ, uh, uh, patrons to, to eat or drink out there. And it rains or they get a snowstorm. Suddenly you don't need those employees. You can't change your schedule. This is going to result in a lot fewer jobs in Minneapolis. And just like the minimum wage, uh, it, it, this is going to increase the cost of doing business. And if I was a business owner there and had to be subject to these rules, um, I'd be out. I'd move somewhere else. 
I certainly, certainly would not open a new business in Minneapolis under these rules. There is no end to what these progressives will do to screw up the free market, to control the small business owner, and make it virtually impossible to have a business and create jobs. No end. Now, on a somewhat lighter note, not really, but kind of, you remember reading the University of Delaware's hate crime investigation that went on a while back? There was some uh, a Black, My- uh, Black Lives Matter um, rally or wh- whatever you want to call it uh, going on. And in the vicinity, uh, they found nooses hung up in a tree. Nooses. Hangman's nooses. Okay. Washington Times reports campus officials were alerted late Tuesday by students who thought nooses had been left hanging from a tree on campus not far from the location of a uh, recent Black Lives Matter demonstration. Now, here's the president of the school. Quote, this hateful display stands in stark contrast to Monday night's peaceful protest and discussion. We condemn this despicable action and ask everyone in our community to stand together against intolerance and hate. Very profound. Okay. Hate crime. This is a hate crime. Well... What they found out was the nooses that were hanging in the tree were leftover decorations from a previous event in that area. They weren't nooses at all. They were remnants of paper lanterns from a activity previously held on the green. Now, this president was out there, president of the university was out there, labeling this a hate crime and inciting activity. She put a lot of people at risk by egging this on, by agreeing. This is evidence out there that people are reacting without their brains. Get the evidence, find out the facts, get the truth, and then deal with it. But no, it's a hate crime. These are nooses. No, they weren't. When they found out they weren't, No apologies were given. Nothing. Nothing. They ginned up outrage for no reason. We've been overreacting to political correction for a long time. It's reaching a tipping point, and it's time to start stepping back and using a little bit of common sense here. Paper decorations left over. Incredible. I want you to have a great day. Be an individual. Be self-reliant. Be an economy of one. I'm Gary Rathbun. We'll see you next time. This is our country. The views expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the views of this station. Listeners should consult their own financial advisors or conduct their own due diligence before making any financial decisions. Private Wealth Consultants is an SEC-registered investment advisor. 